This is the Landscape Ontario podcast. Coming up, the audio from the LO COVID-19 Task Force Town Hall from May 26, when the panel was joined by business coach Jeffrey Scott to discuss strategies for running a business during the pandemic. Going forward, the town halls will be scheduled every other week at 5 p.m. Sign up at hortrades.com. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit dynascape.com for details. We are live. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Tony DiGiovanni, and welcome to another town hall meeting. What a difference a few weeks make. Many of you were sitting at home a couple of weeks ago wondering about the future of your business. Now most members can't keep up with the pent-up demand. I'm hearing that many of you can't find employees. Others are saying that the lack of available daycare is making it difficult for employees to get back to work. However, most of you are busy and thankful that revenue is coming in. In the busyness of the spring season, many of you may not be paying as much attention to the long-term health of your business. This is why we asked renowned business consultant and coach Jeffrey Scott to be with us today. Jeffrey has helped many of our members maintain profitability through all kinds of economies. He is a popular speaker at our events and has unique insights based on many years of providing exemplary information and business coaching services to a North American audience. Jeffrey has also contributed his knowledge, time and perspectives to our Choose to Grow Forward webinars. We're fortunate to have Jeffrey here today. Jeffrey will talk about setting up your company to deal with the new reality of the economy, how to pivot into the future. I love that word, pivot and how to deal with all the success you will have if you take the proper action despite uncertain times. Jeffrey is always an optimist. After Jeffrey's presentation, we'll open up the webinar for questions. Uh, Joining Jeffrey for the question period are members of our COVID task force, Alan White, the chair, David Wright, who's the president of Landscape Ontario, Peter Ganane, and Jamie Riddell. So let's get started with a presentation from Jeffrey Scott. Jeffrey, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for having me here today. I want to speak just briefly about some things you've heard uh, in the before and some new information, and then wrap it all together in a way to think about it and take action to help you not only this year, but next year. So uh, just a reminder that this economic cycle recession that we're in, uh, or some would even call it a depression, right? You've heard that word. Uh, It's different from 2008. 2008 was a humdinger of a recession, the Great Recession, right? And that was based on the uh, on consumer overspending, overborrowing, I should say, and and the uh, real estate bubble. Now, what we have here is sort of man-made, right? We just flipped a switch, and boom, we brought this uh, recession on ourselves. The homeowner, though, was in much better shape. Um, psychologically, financially, and I think we're really seeing that now with the the big demand that's already happening. So as we pull out of this recession, some are calling it a depression, right? As we pull out of this, it's going to be also uh, consumer driven. Um, Now, when I started addressing COVID a month ago, or is it two months ago, maybe? um, I was saying that it would be a V type recovery. So V means, you know, you, you go down and then you come back 
up within 12 months. And, uh, and I also said back then that the news was going to get a lot worse. But no matter what you heard in the news, you know, a month ago, two months ago, it was going to get worse. And you read the papers like this weekend, my God, I want to just kill myself reading all the headlines. That's how newspapers sell their product, right? With these extravagant headlines. But what I was saying a couple months ago is when the news gets really bad, that's actually when we're going to be in the middle of the turnaround. You know, the economy will be pivoting when things look their bleakest and when the news is bad. And so given how bad it is or has been in the past week or two, to me, that's good news. Bad news is good news. That means, okay, we're going to start coming out of this. So I am still a strong believer uh, in a, uh, a strong turnaround. Now, we can't really predict the future, right? We can only guess. Uh, the good news is that we can make our own future. If, uh, and I'll tell you what I mean in a second. Uh, in reality, the economy is stratified. Like if you're in the um, event planning business, you've got no business, not for the next 18 months even. And, you know, and good Lord knows what's going to happen to it. If you're in the bar business, well, restaurants are opening up, bars not so much, not yet at least. Uh, if you're in the landscaping business, hallelujah, because your businesses barely got shut down, they're back up, and certainly in residential, you know, you're booming. And so it's a real stratification of what's going on in the marketplace. And so I think that's going to tell the story for the recovery. I think it's going to be very piecemeal. Uh, depending on the part of the country or continent you're in and uh, what's go what kind of business you have. It's interesting, Tony, that I'm seeing residential companies doing better than commercial companies, which is kind of a, a switch. Generally, people get into commercial because it's more stable, more consistent. Uh, you know, it's maybe easier to sell the business when you're done, uh, maybe fewer headaches. But what I've seen is, there's more doubt right now in commercial than there is residential. Uh, it would be very interesting for LO to do a, a survey of its members and really see how that's playing out uh, across your country. And, and if that's true, you know, is it anecdote or is it, can we back it up with data? It seems to be, uh, the, all the anecdotes are backing that up for me. It would be interesting though to do a survey on that. Um, a recession is a zero sum game. So when you're in a recession, the economy contracts, and when somebody wins, it's because somebody else is losing, right? You're taking a limited amount of business from one, you know, you're all going after a limited pie, right? So when you when you uh, get your piece of the pie, somebody else didn't get theirs. Uh, an econ economic boom is a non-zero-sum game, meaning there's money for everybody, everybody's winning, you know, you just, if you're fishing, you put the fishing pole in, grab out a fish, fishing pole in, grab out a fish. And you don't have to think as hard about managing a business in a boom economy. So uh, I think it's interesting. If you look at the better companies, they treat a boom like a recession and they treat a recession like a boom, meaning the better companies, even when things are booming, they put on these uh, force constraints on their company, uh, stretchier goals, let's get more efficient, let's try new things. They're always 
They continue to experiment. They're always looking for more efficiency, maybe implementing lean management and realizing that when you have the boom economy, it's not a time to be lazy, but a time to really take advantage and try new things and experiment uh, and, and uh, forced uh, discipline on the company. And then in the recession, great companies realize, well, now it's a boom because another word for a recession is a decline, right? It, you know, recessed. And so things are cheaper in a recession, right? Equipment's cheaper. Uh, if you're going to buy a company, it might be cheaper in the recession. And so I think a great company that have built up a great balance sheet realize, well, now's the time I can shop for deals and really take advantage in spending money. And so uh, it's interesting what what we how we normally think of recession and a boom, but how it kind of, if you flip it on its head, it gives you insight into what kind of strategy you should have. So uh, in a recession, this means you've got to work harder, smarter, uh, get more efficient. Now, right now, everybody's booming, right? There's this pent-up demand. Uh, it's hitting the market, and people are just struggling to keep your head above water and 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 get the business. You don't want, though, to lose sight for uh, the opportunities here for really improving your efficiencies here and for making money and saving money. Um, I got a call from a coaching client last week. He's like, Jeff, I, I have more money than I've ever had. I don't know what to do with it. Tell me how to spend it or what I should do with it. And then the next day I'm on the phone with another client. They're both about 5 million. Uh, he said, I have $900,000 in the bank. I've never had that much money in the bank. Uh, and so it's kind of a, everything's flipped on its head. Now these are two us companies. I think in Canada with the government support, you're going to see similar things, right? You're going to see with the economy growing and the government infusion and cash is going to grow. And so I'm always a big believer in building up your balance sheet. Dave knows about that, right? We talk about that incessantly. Um, and, uh, and so now you still can, if you got cash coming in, don't just follow what your accountant, uh, would tell you to do, you know, don't just go spend the money, but conserve the cash. Don't, don't just think, Hey, we're having a party here. Continue to, to put efficiencies in place, conserve the cash. You can still look for deals right? For equipment, you can probably negotiate better deals, better interest rate terms. Uh, can we delay paying for that piece of equipment? Can I get 0% for the next three years? There's some crazy terms out there. So even if you're feeling flush, and many of you will with cash, you should still, um, you should still treat it like you're going to need it, like it's money for the future. You can't spend it now because we don't really know what's going to happen. We can't really predict the future. Um, if you look back in past pandemics, there were repeats, right? It, you know, there was a, it would come out, uh, the pandemic would, would, uh, spike and then there'd be a second spike and a third spike. If I had to bet, that's probably going to happen. And so, and then it's going to cause a little bit more chaos in the future. Um, we don't really know there's, we've never had a time where all the doctors and hospitals and research facilities are, have been, uh, orchestrating across the globe to find a cure. So we also have the best chance of ever of actually beating this thing, but 
you know, you don't know. Maybe it's going to uh, mutate into something else, something worse. Anything can happen. And so um, I would tell everyone to uh, treat all their success as a bit of luck mixed with a bit of smarts and hard work and keep, you never know how long the luck is going to last. So keep your pedal to the metal, but keep uh, striving for efficiencies in your business. And like I said, if you're thinking of expansion, now is certainly a good time, but don't, don't throw that money away as it comes pouring into your business. Still a time to pivot. Tony's favorite word, favorite word for the month here. That was your, your, your word. Yeah. I love this word. We both love this word. Uh, it's still a time to pivot. You have to. I spoke to like this client with $900,000 in cash. Commercial business, not much is happening. Residential business is booming. And so just three months ago, we were talking about growing his commercial side of his business. We had this plan in place. We're pivoting. The residential side is growing. Uh, we're going to be able to hire easier to grow that. We have some growth plans in place. We're going to make it happen. That's uh, And he's outside of New York City, and people are leaving the city, and they're going to the country. So for him, it looks like a longer-term trend. Pivot to where the growth is happening. Pivot to those clients. Pivot geographically where you see the growth happening. Uh, pivot using technology. I have a client. I've spoken about them before. They are a, a garden center. And they put the whole thing online. They did it in like two weeks. And their sales went like, and they're in a city where they get hit by a tornado, Nashville. So their sales went down, boom, right back up. And so now they realize, oh, this technology works for garden centers. It's amazing, really, because now you can just be lazy and buy online like we do with Amazon. Uh, and so the business really spiked, but they're realizing, we could probably put our landscape business online and, you know, more than just uh, I've seen in some Ontario companies, you know, without naming names where they have the uh, build your landscape online, right? That's sort of the trend. So more than just that, but really putting more and more of the business in the, and in interfacing with the client online. So a lot of opportunities for pivoting here, especially if you're willing to try new technologies and just experiment with new ways of doing business. So uh, I think I've given us a few things to chew on there. There's my 15 minutes. Um, you had a quick question, Jeffrey, as you were kind of doing it. One of the <coughs> exit questions, we know pandemics different than an economic uh, market correction or the typical recession that businesses would see. This, this is a global impact on economies and we still, it's uncertain how it's all going to play out because of the way it when moved across and impacted not just people's lifestyles, but how commerce around the world and even now how moving product around the world has changed. But how bold should one be during a period like this? Because we all, we've always heard that term in the greatest challenges come the greatest opportunities. But knowing that pandemics have this in inevitable kind of curve or cycle, and we also have this underlying knowledge that we don't think government can support us all the way through these cycles in the US or Canada, how would you advise us to, to look at risk management? How, how, how do you spend too much, impact your balance sheet, um, not preserve your cash? Because two months ago, that was a big ter term we were talking about. Um, should we still be doing that? Or where's that balance point from your perspective? Alan, what a great way of throwing four or five questions into one question like that. 
<laughs> well done here. This is like a this is like I'm a call for another ten minutes. So it's like a verbal SAT test. All right, I think I got it all here. Alan's good at that, by the way. Yeah, he's really good. Um, so serve cash. Take advantage of. Oh, no, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Nothing more. No, that's good. Um, you know, the government shut down the economy and then intervened to bolster the economy. There's a little bit of schizophrenia, really, right? And then in Sweden, they decided not to shut down the economy and to uh, give clear directions. And I guess the Swedes are good at following directions and, and listening to their uh, governments. And so uh, I do think we're going to have some more spikes of some kind. The question is, will we have to shut things back down again or not? I think we're going to have learned a lot on how not to just clamp things down uh, where it really hurts the economy. Uh, and I'm hoping we're a lot more uh, prudent as we move forward. So that's my hope, Alan, that as we do kind of bounce through this, and I think it's going to bounce a few times, that the government won't have to come in and flood the market with money in a, in a counterbalance, right? It's like It's like when you go to the doctors and they give you uh, some medicine that's going to kill you almost to cure you. Then they give you something else to counterbalance the medicine. Hopefully we won't, we won't have to go through that, that wackiness uh, where we're going to require the government to step in. That's, that would be my hope that we get smart enough not to do that. Um, I, I think it's a little bit individualistic. So if you have a really strong balance sheet and you've been conserving cash for a while, I, I started up a podcast. I don't know if you started listening to that, Alan, and I had Bob Grover from Oregon. Mm -hmm. And after 2008 economy, he said never again. And so he's been systematically cleaning up his debt. So when we came into this debt free, right now he can really maneuver. So I, I would look to building up extra cash, but I, I think you always want to be bold in a couple ways. One is uh, having a strategic plan where you know what's that next person I need on my team and, or what's that better person I need on my team, right? So either addition or replacement. And I think you always want to be bold when there's uh, a good person that wants to come work for you on the market, making that move. When you're tiny, you can't do that, right? What three, four person company, but you get to a certain size and it, and the whole thing shifts and then bringing in a, a great person makes you more money, makes everything work better. So I would continue those bold moves. Uh, if you see your market shifting, like I said, with the um, the nursery going online and the clients were there online, but they weren't in person. So I would make bold moves to, to where you can get that short-term return uh, right from your clients, uh, you know, right in the same cycle, let's call it the same spring or same summer, same fall. Uh, if you're in the mode of buying businesses no not everybody is if you're not don't go out and do that but if that's been part of your plan maybe to diversify now's a great time to continue doing that mm -hmm. um so it so back to you it depends on the definition of bold and if you want to throw out a few more examples we can uh we can bat those around some companies as you alluded to we're already doing a little cash preservation saying after 2008 that's not going to happen to me again but i've talked to lots of companies that young and old companies um, over the last two months that uh, we've been living a pretty solid economic wave for the last 10 years. 
um, and cash preservation wasn't as big a deal. So some, again, new companies and old companies felt the pinch when the economy shut down. Yeah. Uh, so they already weren't, didn't have a great balance sheet. So you, the advice is a little different when you have obviously cash on hand and your balance sheet's solid, um, it's pretty easy right now to be making decisions. But if that wasn't the case, what do you, and we're more trying to create opportunity and advice for the guys that really are feeling the pain of the last two months. What should they be working on right now when you have all this noise, all this uncertainty, what plus all this pent up energy? Um, is there is there things they should be doing, caution they should be taking, or advice for companies that are kind of living on the edge? So uh, this is a year to understand cash flow and cash flow management. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we've spent a decade learning how to put together a better budget thanks to the uh, the uh, the Ontario uh, landscape software company, right. Who, who really the leader in this, I think I would say the leader in building software, uh, to help us figure out our P and L. And so I think we've done a good job as an industry figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the work I do is helping people learn how to use it, uh, put it into a monthly format, et cetera. And I think now is the season for cash flow management and understanding how to manage your money by cash flow. Uh, and in making improvements in the business so you can improve the cash flow. And then you've got the balance sheet, which is about saving the money, right? Keep more of it than we give out, uh, build up the the equity in our balance sheet. And so that's, that's uh, I think there'll be a change there because a lot of people just listen to their tax accountants. Hey, we should, we should lower our taxes because we're growing. And so we're just going to re-plow it back into the company I would say that you, too many companies did that little willy nilly, right? Not, you know, cause you're in a boom economy, right? So you don't have to really think as hard about it. So when you get this wave of cash coming, um, sit down with your accountant, hopefully he's a CPA and come up with a goal for how much money we want to have saved up in the company before we feel, uh, uh, well, before we feel safe to, to spend more of it. So I guess that's a long way of saying, Set some savings and balance sheet goals to hit and be do a better job of weekly cash flow management and set up some 13-week rolling cash flow projections so you can kind of predict your cash and track it. You may not need it right now, but you will in the next, uh, you know, when this uh, peak of demand subsides and you have to start managing real real numbers again in your business. And that'll really help companies that are, when these opportunities, and there will be opportunities as, as there always are in crisis markets um, and ones that obviously are as pushing like they are right now on, on our sector's demand. But uh, if you're managing your cash flow well, then you can certainly take advantage of that that opportunity without creating undue risk. Yeah, yep. Jeffrey, is there is there a, um, a rule of thumb in how much cash you should should uh, save up in your, in your balance sheet? Is there, is there... A ratio? No. That no? is such a good question. <laughs> is there a rule of thumb? I, it's really, people have different uh, risk tolerances. Right. So there's a debt to equity measurement. So that's not really cash, but it's debt to equity on the balance sheet. And if your debt to equity is higher than two and a half, let's say, or three, you're in high risk territory. Uh, if it's down as far as low as one to one, then you're fairly... Uh, you're in a low risk position. Some people want it to be below that even, 
And so they're really conserving cash. So I, I would look at debt to equity um, as one goal. Uh, in terms of cash in the bank, hmm, let me think about a, a goal on that. Some people say that you know you should have 10% of revenue or 20% of revenue uh, right. in your bank. And so I, I think you have to look at both, both cash and maximizing cash, which also has to do with better management of AR. Right. But that's slight, or it is different from your debt to equity, which is how leveraged is your balance sheet. And I would say you really want to manage both. Right. Yeah, we can, we ask the other panelists. I know in our company, we try to keep about uh, one, at least one month cash reserve on our sales production. So if you're, if you're generating $250,000 a month in revenues, we try to have $250,000 of cash. So that's out. like 8%, right? So that's a conservative. Uh, in this day and age, though, you might want more. And we would, I'd also say our our lines of credit also equal our our sales forecast. So on a monthly basis. So whatever, um, what are well, now, now you're at sixteen percent. So that's my ten to twenty percent there. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, Peter, David, do you do you want to? Uh, while we have Jeffrey here, do you want to ask any questions? Do you, want, do you want to uh, uh, give us some some of your perspectives in terms of uh, keeping your, your business solid? Sure. I'll, I'll just talk briefly about <clears throat> managing to the numbers. And I know that it's something that I've worked with Jeffrey on for a long time. And it's I've always understood the reason by, behind having a budget. Um, that always made sense to me. You're planning. It's, it's, but how do you stick to that budget? How do you manage to those numbers? Um, I'm on my sixth budget for this year because of the ups and downs of this thing. And, you know, I went into it, you know, what is the worst case scenario? So I came up with a worst case scenario budget. Well, that one's still sitting over here. I haven't touched it. And then I did another budget and thanks to LMN for the ability to, you know, throw out budgets like, <laughs> like this, like, like you're throwing out a deck of cards, but I, I could do all these different scenarios. And, and even last week, my VP of operations uh, gave us two weeks notice. So now I have a new budget. I'm saving, saving on a salary. I'm, I'm working, you know, spreading some money amongst my employees. I can understand. I can see by looking at my budget how much money I'm saving by not having that salary. And I can give a few people some raises and change their job descriptions. And in the big picture, I can see that we're going to make a little bit more money this year if this budget comes true. But then I also have this other budget of what I was aiming for coming into 2020 and, and it's how to adapt to those trigger points. When do I switch to these different budgets and um, point, you know, and, and keep making sure that I'm watching those numbers and making my decisions based on what my budget says. And that's what I struggled with for a long time, but I sort of finally figured that out. So, yeah. So, so David, that, that's a, a pretty interesting approach. So, so how, how do you actually do that logistically? Like, do you look at, so you've got your six or seven budgets that you've done. Uh, do you look at them monthly? Look at them weekly? How, how, how do you do this? It's yeah. been weekly. I, I want to hear the answer to this one. It's actually been weekly. weekly? Yeah. But as something happens, I'm developing a budget for what, you know, I'm, I, I may not go back to them. But I'm on this on the on my sixth active budget that I'm working on because things kept changing, and as fast as they were changing, uh, let's do another budget. Let's do another budget. So hopefully, what I've got planned out ahead 
in my budget reflects the reality of what's going on. And, and so, you know, in the past, I would adjust my budget quarterly. Uh, it used to be just you know, every year and whether I hit it, I didn't, you know, did I hit the budget? No. Oh, well, well, we'll change it this year. Then I got into looking at it so that we would adjust actually quarterly to try and, um, and then with, uh, with the help of Jeffrey using his rolling budget, uh, it was looking at it monthly and being able to work to a budget monthly and adjust accordingly to hit your end, your end goal, or at least know where you're going to end up. So, on the, uh, I didn't think we're allowed to adjust budgets, but I, <laughs> I agree. Well, with how do you manage a business without adjusting a budget? I agree with Dave that I think you need to always be looking at because it, it gives you it gives you the reality to to see where you're actually living in relation to your budget, and then when things change, you have the ability to see where reality fits with it. To know, to your point, Dave, I think is the uh, the the point point. Can I can I pivot? Can I change something? Can I add to something or augment it? stuff? Um, I think some call it changing the budget, some call it reflecting on the budget, some put the reality, the actuals to the budget. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with it. Uh, th that's kind of the way we look at it too. If you know what it is and you look at it weekly, you know when you have to pivot or don't, or if a pivot comes or an opportunity we just talked about previously comes, can I apply that into the, the metrics that I had already previously kind of worked out? So, so Alan, you're, you're doing it weekly. Um, we're doing a form of it. So my cash flow is my bigger one and I look I, I, I compare it to our actual productivity um, to, to see how we need to, to do all those, those operational pivots. Um, and sometimes it's it's creating more it's creating more expense defining to what Jeff said earlier, the right employee um, paying more than I would for something or a new piece of equipment comes along that my desk that wasn't in my budget originally, but we're sales are crazy and uh, we're exceeding budgets all the way along. Yeah, I can take a bigger risk, but if I'm not exceeding budget, yeah, you should be a little more cautious about taking advantage of that opportunity right now, or you better understand how it fits into your new reality of why you're not meeting the budget you kind of set out already. So whether you call it six budgets or you call it uh, a, a constant reevaluation of your actuals to a budget, um, and adjusting where you want to go. This is a year where you have to do it a lot more frequently. Well, you might actually change your budget if you were going to change your pricing. So if something dropped and you had to change your overhead recovery, you know, how you distribute it, then you would literally change your budget. I think Dave also mentioned, I think this is important, is having a monthly budget. An annual budget only gets you so far, right? And so the, the key that everyone has to really uh, take to heart is uh, having the discipline to create a monthly budget that's accurate, but then you can live in monthly compartments and that's a lot easier to manage than in a big annual compartment. Yeah, we've redone our budget monthly just because of the, the existential threats that are, that are flying at us with uh, the government changing policies, um, but cash flow we do weekly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the nice thing about, visiting those budgets is you understand better what you have to drive toward. So early on, you know, in March, we realized cash flow was going to be a potential problem. We didn't know if it was going to be a month or two months for the shutdown. So we made our adjustments then for uh, refinancing some of our uh, debt. And uh, so the fact that we've been allowed to work, we're actually in a better position now than we would have been without uh, the shutdown and the government subsidies and having to reorganize all this debt. So we're uh, in a weird position, right? Where we've 
we've done all the all those steps and our cash flow is actually in good shape uh and uh and but we still want to revisit that regularly so we're prepared for you know a second wave if that happens and or if i have staff that get sick and have to shut down crews i'm going to lose productivity pretty quickly so so we're, we're constantly anticipating a worst case scenario um and it's and I think it's getting this virus into our company is right now our our biggest threat. Yeah. yeah. So it's For a us, common the common theme is like watching your numbers, knowing where you are here. Uh, Jamie, do you want to add anything or did? Yeah, you wanna, yeah, I was just going to say from from our perspective, um, you know, we can watch revenue targets on a daily basis and we can analyze them on a weekly basis, um, seeing what our real costs come in. Ours are monthly, um, but. What I've had to spend a lot of time doing is understanding what the daily, weekly, and monthly trends actually mean, right? So is it is it actually growth? Are we actually growing our business or are we pulling business forward or back or are we pushing pulling business that we lost in April into May? So really sitting down and understanding are customers growing and there's their spend growing, or is or or are we just reallocating the weight of our budget through different periods of time in the year? And, and then understand, you know, being up over budget in the month of May after a poor April can give you some false um, confidence in that year. Think, oh, we're up on budget. We, you know, we're doing a great job. Well, really, you got to dig for those for the for the, the little pieces in the rough or the, the smaller percentage of the of the business that you've lost. Right. It can give you a false sense of confidence that everything's good. We're doing amazing. We're not losing customers. Whereas if you don't do the deep dive and, and get very analytical, um, you can overlook some pretty, pretty big, pretty big potential losses. So it, it's really great to identify trends, but it's, it's even more important uh, to understand the trends and understand every aspect of the trend and, um, and then make decisions based on that. And that's why I like seeing the cost on a monthly basis versus um, seeing the revenue on a daily basis. It allows me to digest these things. Uh, before seeing how, how the costs come in on the other side. Okay. The question so, I had, Tony, was uh, our members were asking about it last week, but last week's call a little bit. Um, the cost of COVID and these new protocols, some people, it's one person per truck, so you send in two or three trucks to a job site. Some of it's the extra PPE, um, whether it's masks, gloves, uh, cleaning uh, job sites sanitation extra johnny on the spot sunset like there's a whole bunch of costs that are just added to everything that aren't going to be recoupable and then we haven't even got into some of us are feeling um at the medium-sized business and higher the number of people coming in with potential illness so all of a sudden one person or crew gets knocked out for two weeks so these these are all costs that weren't forecasted uh, we're looking at our cash flow but um, I, I think there's some apprehension in the marketplace. One to charge for these. Do we absorb them? How do you put them? How, what are your thoughts and suggestions on how we put these into our pricing structures for the short term uh, and the long term as we anticipate this is probably at least a 12 to 24 month reality um, that we're going to be living in our businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. Some are recommending to track those costs separately so you can actually see them. Um, I don't know how practical that is, but. Uh, if you can put a line item in your budget so you know what those extra costs are that you know otherwise you can't charge your clients and then you can't see how you're you can't compare year to year when there's a blip going on with the costs so 
if that's easy enough to do, I would do that. Um, the whole point of this government intervention is really to add some buffer to that. And so I think it's hard just to add, if you could add those costs, you would do it anyways, right? Unless you have a clause in your contract where you can, you know, commercially just pass it on um, and your client's going to accept it. I mean, let me turn it around the other way. If your client was going to accept it, you'd probably do it, right? So. Uh, well, I think part of the question is a social one too, in your experience of business and coaching. Um, there's there's two sides. The one's obviously expense in, in the yeah. bottom line of the business. The other is the, the marketplace. It's confidence levels is you look at commercial is probably actually a little more eroded than residential, but still the concept of COVID and being a pandemic, being trapped at home, while it's stimulating some markets like garden centers and our our sector from gardening, at the same time it's still seen as a negative. So adding it or trying to put it in when you're in kind of recession, depression, market downturn, when normally people will be tightening their pricing and spending, it's yeah. kind of an anomaly and you don't want to rub it the wrong way or yeah. you run the risk of actually uh, hurting your business and obviously market opportunity by kind of stimulating the wrong, wrong. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing it situationally, so I'm not seeing it across the board yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing my clients saying that, you know, it's a common factor at all, but I am seeing it situationally where, where the client has requests that in order to fill that request, there's going to be a certain cost and I'm trying and I'm making you aware of that cost client and I'm passing that on to you more in the commercial world. So I am seeing it situationally, but by no means am I seeing any trend of that happening yet. So I'd like to ask uh, uh, th that question to, to Peter, Dave, and, and also Alan, who started. So what are you doing? Are, are you passing on those extra costs or are you just eating them? We, are, are, we are have you? not. Yeah. Okay. We have not. Uh, the optics of having an additional charge to our clients would feel a little bit rough. I mean, everybody's struggling right now. So the optics of, of, hanging that on our clients would be difficult. Uh, Jeffrey's right, the government subsidy is offsetting some of my additional costs. And one of the things we did uh, as more of a semi midterm, I guess, approach is we've adjusted our production rate calculators so that if I was able to do 120 square feet of stone with a crew a day, you know, flagstone or something, and maybe we can only do 100 square feet of stone every day now. So my estimates are reflecting some additional time overall for the job. So there isn't really a difference in the appearance to my clients. But, you know, in the fall, when the government subsidies have dried up, I'm hopefully going to be able to get paid for the hours that my guys are going to take to do the work. So, so the the, uh, the message there is know your costs and be able to pass them on. That's it exactly yeah. know your costs. Yeah. Um, I, I I hated it when the you know when fuel prices here were you know dollar forty dollar thirty dollar forty and even before that trucking companies were charging a fuel surcharge. Well now you're uh, <laughs> we're paying eighty cents a liter for gas now and uh, those fuel surcharges are still on the bill and uh, you know. Surcharges never go away. It's to me, it's a money grab. Um, I don't. I agree with them, and sometimes I just don't pay them. Um, depends on the supplier, um, because sometimes I think they're not warranted. Um, I wouldn't put that to my customers. I wouldn't put us a, a, 
COVID-19 surcharge. Um, I, I know approximately what my costs were, hard costs, my soft costs, I don't know. Um, and the, there's a soft cost in the uh, in, in efficiency and the fact extra training and stuff that we had to do. That's a whole lot harder to track, um, but certainly a hard cost. I know exactly what we spent on, on toilets for our trailers and hand sanitizer and that kind of thing. And in the big picture, yeah, that's just more PPE. So it goes under that line item. Or we, I could put a new line item in my in my in my uh, accounting, but I just know in the back of my mind approximately how much this is. And at this point, it, it's not enough to justify putting some kind of extra charge. But it's being it's being covered in all of my new my new quotes going out the door are paying at a different rate than they would have last year. So. Yeah, ours are similar to peers. It's 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 factored into our labor costs. Things are taking longer, more training, uh, okay. more separated uh, town halls and their tailgates in the morning. Um, so all these segmented things are, are adding a, a burden, but it's it's safety related, um, and our crews aren't as efficient as they go through all this PPE. Uh, part of our company goal is to make it more and more efficient each time we we learn from it, each time we practice it. So there's a little bit of that going on, but it, it is different. So when you're looking, especially a smaller company, what's a straight income and expense, um, and you yeah, have all these extra expenses coming in. Uh, so there's a question: how do we how do we recoup, recoup these costs? Um, now it's again a little bit surreal with the market being all this pent up demand, but the James' point is. Some of that pent up demand is we didn't get out early, so everybody has high expectation. It just is a massive workload right now. Yeah. All right. We, we've got uh, the, the audience has a question. Michelle Wessel has a question. Does Jeff have any feedback from his landscape clients regarding lost business so far or weaker sales forecasts? What are you seeing out there, Jeffrey? Well, I am seeing weaker sales in some commercial sectors and stronger in residential so um right now i'm not i'm not really seeing well that's the only weaker sales i'm seeing but maybe i didn't understand the question i, I think uh it's i think michelle's just trying to get at uh you know what what's the forecast an economic forecast uh, and how how it's going to affect the the industry um have have businesses have, you know we we've we started late have we are we going to make up for that? Um, you know, you know, as, as my dad told me over and over and over again, make hay when the sun shines. Right. So if you're having an excess demand now and you're like up to here, you know, learn to swim a little higher and, and grab a bit more of it because yeah. nobody can predict. Yeah. I think so, what we're seeing in the marketplace, Tony, is, um, there's been a pullback on high-end residential, so um, big capital investment in property. Why, again, some of those players would be working upper management in big commercial companies, big financial companies where you may not. I think there's some uncertainty as to what bonuses look like, what what their Salesforce cats look like. They have the ability. They're living at home. They're, they're working from home. It, it's just on the, on the blue-collar worker, the kind of middle class, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, I haven't felt it. And I haven't heard it from our clients um, in respect to that. But some of the bigger GTA clients, um, we're hearing a little bit of pullback. The guys that yeah. are shooting the million dollars on landscape might not be. They right. may hold off for a year or two. So, but you personally haven't seen a lot of it on your your company. No, Peter, you're you're mostly high end, aren't you? Yeah, and I yeah. and we're lucky in that our 
pipeline is often a year, two, three years down the road. So those people that spend a million dollars on their landscape, they're building a $5 million home. They started last year and I'm doing the landscape next year. Right. So where, where we'll find the real pullback for my customers is probably in another, is a year after this thing starts. Same thing happened in 2008. My sales bottomed out in 2009, 2010, 2011. That's where there was a dearth of high-end construction because I'm getting it after all the construction is finished. And uh, right now there's a lot of projects that got started a year ago or two years ago. And uh, they, that money, that train has left the station. That, that money is virtually pre-spent when they committed to doing this job. Money is cheap, so they all have access to cash. There's tons of money flying around and at low interest rates. So people who are have committed are going to follow through. I mean, we still have people signing up for huge contracts, but that that could dry up in a year or two if the economy slows down and gr slowly grinds down when the government pulls back their uh, their uh, infusion. And but we'll see that in a probably two years from now, a year to two years. Jamie, what are you seeing? You see, see a lot of contractors. Uh, are they losing contracts or? Oh, you know, it's been an extremely overwhelmingly positive message. And uh, so my, my message has always been, you know, how many projects from 2021 got pulled into 2020, right? Somebody was going to go on vacation this year and do the backyard next year. So, you know, that pipeline for 2021 or 2022 for the medium-sized to small-sized landscape projects may be getting eaten up now uh, while cash is good and interest rates are good. So, uh, for 2020, everything I'm hearing is extremely, extremely positive, and, um, and that, that's really great. And there's even a lot of people talking about booking into 2021, um, but if I were, you know, when I look at what, what we're planning for is we're looking, what do we expect 2021 to be with pulling all this work forward and then a, a slow start in 2020. Um, it's, uh, you know, if the interest rates stay where they are and, and the economy stays as well as it's going right now, I think we'll be okay. But, uh, you know, 2020 is a great, uh, very optimistic outlook. And 2021 is everybody this is uncertain, but certainly feels optimistic at this point. I mean, people aren't spending money on trips. They're not spending money on food, like on restaurants. No. So, so. Uh, like I, I had a bunch of people ask me, well, yeah. what are you doing for the summer? I said, well, to be honest, um, I just saved thousands of dollars for my kids not playing baseball. Yeah. Right. So what did I do? I'm going to put a new walkway in. I'm going to put a putting yeah. in my backyard. Right. We're happy about that. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I got my weekends back. So, yeah. you know, I think for, for now, for 2020, I think, there's going to be substantial investment in, in, in the homes and around staycations and things like that. You can't even rent cottages right now. So as Jeff said, make hay while the sun shines. This is our year. Yeah. And it also means don't get lazy on the marketing and sales development side. Yeah. Just because just everything's pouring in doesn't mean uh, you shouldn't get better and smarter at the marketing and sales side because if we, you know, remember a contraction becomes a zero sum game and you better be better, you better be better at the marketing and sales side when the economy does dip. 
If you don't market and prospect in good times, that's what drives a sales a sales slump later, right? So, right. oh, you've got you're busy and you've got lots of revenue now. You've got to be looking like as Peter said, his pipelines two and three years out, right? He's bidding jobs two and three years out. We've got to be prospecting two and three years out. We've got to be working, looking forward, even in the best of times, the busiest of times. You got to be building for the future. Yeah. Maybe Tony, while we have a couple minutes left here, I, we, we've talked about the sales side and the, the business side. Um, you alluded a little bit, Jeff, to um, employees talking about HR. A big, it's been both south of the border, south of the border. You're in the south, so I don't know. You always talk about north of the border. Um, HR North America wide has been an issue. Yeah. Um, some of us thought maybe with all this unemployment that it would be better. Um, we're actually finding the exact opposite. Now it's subsidies here for um, wage relief, both in companies and for individuals is pretty strong in Canada. Um, but we're finding work doesn't seem to be the problem. Finding employees incredibly difficult. Yeah. Any advice, any uh, wisdom from what you're seeing, something we should be doing with like, there's never been this many people unemployed ever before, but it's not, it's not helping anything. Or is there a way we should be approaching it or, a trend or a thought that you could, you could share with the members that might help? My son lives in Holland, um, <clears throat> which sometimes I think of as the other Ontario, right? You have so many Dutch in Ontario. But, uh, and over there, they, they fed all the money through the companies to keep people employed. Whereas we, and I guess you, uh, try to straddle it. And it really caused this uh, bifurcation and just confusion in the marketplace. Shame on us. We should have done it the way they did it in Europe and just feed the money to keep everybody employed. So uh, it's just chaotic south of the border down here where we where we also speak English and Spanish. Okay. Um, it's just as confusing. I mean, long term, you have to b become a destination company. Thanks to Dave Wright, who helped coin the title for this book 10 years ago. And uh, anybody online, I will send you a free copy. <laughs> if you go to uh, jeffreyscott.biz forward slash free book, you can download a free copy. And you, you've got to build a, an alternative company, uh, a company that's an alternative for someone to want to go work at. Again, yeah. uh, when you get the boom, it then becomes that zero sum game for finding employees, right? And so yeah. now you've got to be the better choice. Yeah, we, we have our director of education. She calls it become an employer of choice. So, so same, same kind of idea. So, well, so. I like Dave's title better. But <laughs> sure. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jeffrey, you're here, so we're going to take advantage of you here. <laughs> so you see a lot of, lot of uh, um, companies. Uh, what's the biggest mistake that you've seen? like repeatedly over and over i love this question <laughs> the biggest mistake is making the wrong hire okay the, hr based well it's a part of hr making yeah. the wrong hire uh either because you're desperate or distracted or just not realizing what it takes to vet properly an employee and once you bring the wrong person into your company, man, the upset and the cost and the process to work through it and then to move them out of the company or to shift positions, that 
cost and opportunity cost both is is significant. Yeah. So if you can avoid making the wrong hires, you're going to be so much further ahead than everybody else. So, so any tips on how to avoid making the wrong hire? <laughs> well, um, there's a great book that I, I tell all my clients this, that's an excellent book for recruiting, uh, for interviewing in that process. And let me see if I have a copy of it here. I probably do somewhere. Um, the book's called Who? Oh, here it is. This book right here. Yeah. Call me number one this, problem. Okay. This is the Bible. It's the best book I've seen that gives a process for uh, for that interviewing process so that you don't make the wrong initial hire. You know, and then I use personality profiles and other things like that. Um, but I would start with this book. Okay. And uh, hook up with a good personality profile. That's just a tool. It's just part of the process, but it helps with the higher levels. Um, you know, I, I once hired somebody that was a big mistake. Big. I, I can't even tell you. In fact, I'm legally not allowed to tell you what <laughs> happened. Um, and then we finally did a reference check afterwards. This is back in my younger days. And it turns out the problem we had with this employee, they had the same problem. If I had only done that reference check. Now, legally, often you're not allowed to do that, right? Or you're not allowed to give the reference. But if, if it's a great employee, they're going to tell you. Uh, and so you can read between the lines. There's different ways to ask questions. So it, it you still want to go through the basics, including the reference checking, relates my point. Yeah, I, I want to go to to the uh, uh, the chat line for a minute. Uh, James talking about how we've got uh, a lot of support from government uh, for for student and wage subsidies and so forth, uh, but because of the cost of insurance, uh, he still can't afford to to uh, to, to hire. Um, how, how do you answer something like that? A situation like that. So, so the, in, in uh, especially on the snow and the cost of insurance. That, that might be a Canadian question. Yeah, it might have to do with Canadian laws there. Yeah, I mean, insurance companies are charging a lot for any driver that's under twenty-five years old. <clears throat> so I have the same problem in my 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 company too, is where where we have trouble having drivers because the insurance company wants to charge extra to let them drive the truck. Yeah. Um. So what what James was saying was that his insurance company wanted. Uh, Ninety-eight hundred dollars um, for um, licensing or for insuring that young driver. <clears throat> so, you know, so the government's willing to give you money to hire these people, but uh, you can't hire them because you can't afford to pay the insurance. But I guess you could take the money that you were getting from the government to pay the insurance. So, there's the other way around it too. So, yeah, so it's not a free employee. No. You know, in theory, those in a free market, everybody suffers from that same problem. So what what's is everybody suffering from that same problem? We, we, yeah, everyone's suffering from the same problem. Yeah, the insurance uh, insurance is the second biggest issue we have in, in Ontario anyway. For uh, snow or for, or for uh, generally snow, but in general, especially for snow, but generally we're, we're trying to figure out what how to deal with that, but. So in theory, everybody has that same cost is yeah, what yeah. I'm asking or saying. Yeah. That's right. So. Okay. so so then it comes down to somebody is not really pricing. They, they, they don't may not know their costs or 
be confident with them or they're not confident in charging what they really need to charge. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that, that also, you know, that's an unexpected cost, right? So if, for instance, if James was going to planning on employing people over the age of 25 and the insurance was $1,500 versus 9,800, right? Like how do you pivot on that that quickly? It's hard. It's yeah. really, uh, especially with a small company. Yeah. It's a smaller company. And, you know, even it's still hard to eat $10,000 just to have drivers. Okay. And it's almost, you can almost afford to, to have somebody else drive people around. Can't. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, I don't know how you overcome an extra $8,800 for insurance. And that's crazy. Yeah. I think the, uh, and again, Jeffrey, you're on the, the call today. So, uh, I can plug you a little bit, but the, I think it was really timely that the piece you sent out this morning, your newsletter, those that aren't uh, subscribing to your newsletter, I, I think should, but is your landscape company financially accountable? This, the seven steps of that accountability, I think was super helpful. I think as Dave mentioned a few times, it's, it's knowing your numbers, um, spending the, the right amount of time, even when you're all busy to pull yourself back into the office um, and, and work on the, the right pieces of it. Don't just, look at them but uh, as many here today have said is is go over them put different scenarios at them it's going to be a really fluid market for the next 12 to 24 months both from an economic standpoint a, a global economy stability uh and then we we really don't know that much more today than we knew two months ago about this pandemic other than we're not out of the woods yet so it could work out really good in our favor, it could go sideways. And there's no real rhyme or reason as to why New York was different than um, Saskatchewan. But we do know it, 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 it has its own mind. It does its own things. There's certain things that we don't have control, but what we do have control is knowing our numbers. Yeah. Um, and from that standpoint, uh, asking the right questions um, in, in reaching out to your peers. This is a time to, to be asking lots of questions, to be understanding, uh, to how to do things different because there is there is great opportunity right now. Um, don't be reckless in taking that opportunity because that could hurt you with this instability that's still kind of unforeseen in the future. And there, there are a lot of a lot of people that want to help too, which is which is wonderful in, in an yeah. association community setting. So that's that's and what we we found out. Uh, another thing that came that was really well said from Dave was you know, challenge your budgets. He's got six of them. He's challenging himself to look at these things differently. He's challenging himself to get more creative, um, you know, looking at numbers is one thing, but challenging yourself to look at them differently and understand them and, and give them different perspectives that that that's commitment and it takes time and but it's worth it in the end. Yeah. So Jeffrey, any advice on life lessons, your life lessons on balancing life business, um, the reality of stress and the, the, the reality of being incredibly busy? Um, how do you find that balance? How do you work on the right things? Yeah. Somebody asked me that today. So I, I have a practice to answer here. You know, it, um, I don't think there's, I think you have to find your kind of like an energy balance. And I don't mean that like woo woo, but um, you, because we have peaks right in our business and then we go on vacations, we have peaks, but how do you feel balanced every day? And so to me, that means working out, which I have not done today. And I've been, it's been on my mind all afternoon. Uh, that means relaxing and 
uh, feeling good about what we did today. Every day I end the day with my wife and we talk about our successes and that our, sometimes our problems will come up, but we try to end on a positive note and we talk up, we share successes with each other, uh, turning off the phone. You can get hooked on just staring at it and it, that alone will give you a headache, right? So, uh, I think it's kind of like these micro balances and micro energy boost, like working out. I have a, uh, I have a bike here right around the corner. And so even if I can get on for 15 minutes and, you know, sweat out for 15 minutes, then I, I feel better. And so, uh, finding it in these little spots where I can, and, uh, I think has a lot to do with the day-to-day -day balance. So mm -hmm. hopefully something in there to, to help you, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, so, so just from my perspective, all the people that I, I admire are not balanced, <laughs> including you, Alan. <laughs> but you know, there's a different kind of balance, and I, and I talk about it, and it was from a book that, that Jeffrey made me read. Um, <laughs> it was the one thing, and it's the pendulum, and I've talked about it in my president's messages about um, great things happen at the extremes. This is an extreme right now, but great yeah. things happen at the end on the swing. When it's in balance, nothing is happening because you are in balance. But it's your own interpretation of what balance is, really. Mm -hmm. And you we need could to probably swing. spend a couple hours on this question. Oh, well, there's so many different theories, but this is the one I'm going with. So. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, our time's up. Uh, so I'm just going to make a few concluding remarks. And, and uh, thank you, audience, for, for uh, uh, attending here. And um, so I just want to uh, thank Jeffrey Scott for being our guest uh, today. Uh, Jeffrey has always been very generous with his time. Uh, he's a consultant that's very effective, and he also cares a great deal about his client's success and the industry in general. So thank you, Jeffrey. Thank, thank you. you also to Alan White, David Wright, Peter Ganane, and Jamie Riddell. Uh, together with Jeff Olson, John Dursey, Margot Byers, Terry Childs, and Lindsay Ross, they are members of our COVID task force. They've already met 40 times during this crisis, uh, looking after your interests, looking after the, the profession's interests. Uh, their, their contribution ethic is, is really inspiring. And uh, all of them are, are really unbalanced. <laughs> so they, have, they have their own uh, business, but they make time for, for the community. Uh, to conclude, I wanna say a few words about safety. Uh, we are fortunate to be one of the first professions allowed to work. Uh, we took a, a full-page ad in the Toronto Star thanking the Premier for trusting us to work safely. Uh, many of you are following safety guidelines on social distancing and vector control. You reflect professionalism and care for your employees, clients, and community. However, there are many in the industry that are not paying attention. We are witnessing trucks with four or five passengers crowded together with no one wearing masks. We are observing employees eating lunch together with hardly any space between them. We see employees working too close to each other. Uh, early this year, uh, President Dave Wright encouraged everyone to become safety companies that happen to be in the landscape business. It's important for so many reasons to listen to Dave. Uh, COVID cases went up last week. Our privilege to work is at risk. So please continue to work safely. Please encourage others to do the same. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes every month. And if you have an idea for the show, please email me at scott at landscapeontario.com.
Thanks for listening.